But let me give you uh, some of the headlines this morning from uh, the front pages. I mean, the paper's a good rustle, so you know we have them here in our hands. Uh, in my own paper, the Sunday Business Post revealed overhaul for civil service pay as just 1% lose out on hikes. Just 148 civil servants had increments withheld for poor performance. In the Sunday Independent, Labour plots gay attack ad on Martin and Adams. And we talk a little bit more about that shortly in the Sunday Times. HSE bloated by new hires of managers. And also a picture story on the floods hitting uh, Ireland there as the uh, as the storms return. Also on the front page of the Sunday Times, that story that featured in our news bulletin, Garda probe after officer hurt at male strip show. Now, I knew that uh, gentlemen in the stripping profession occasionally dressed as Gardaí or police officers. I wasn't aware they performed in Garda stations. From the Mail, the Irish Mail on Sunday, FG in turmoil over shambles of Perry trial. And this is the uh, legal action taken by TD John Perry to have himself added to the list of Fine Gael candidates uh, in which Fine Gael subsequently surrendered basically and added him to the ticket. The mail says the case could cost party 500,000 and top boss his job. My suspicion is that the future of uh, the Fine Gael General Secretary probably depends more on what happens in the election than it does on that court case. And the Sunday World, double hutch, Kinahan's demand twice the blood money from Monk's family to settle 100k feud. Now, to discuss these and other stories, we're joined this morning by Alison O'Connor, journalist with the Irish Examiner, Nora Owen, former Minister for Justice and Fine Gael TD, and by Jared Howland, former political uh, advisor. Good morning to you all, and thanks for joining us. Alison. Just to make it clear, the former Minister and the former TD, just in case people... Former Minister, former former (laughs) TD, and current Eminence Grieve. (laughs) Oh, God, yeah, that's it. Uh, Alison, uh, Labour's gay gay attack on no Labour plots Labour plots gay attack ad on Martin. You know, I I I saw this this morning online and I was half asleep and I actually initially thought Martin McGuinness and Jerry Adams, what's that about? Before recovering myself and realizing that not what it's it was, about, it was to do with Michal Martin and 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 Jerry Adams, and I have to say, it gave me a really good yeah. chuckle. In a way, we're worse, you know, to be talking about it, but sure we are. So go on. Well, you know, <laughs> I think that um, Labour needs more of this. I think Labour has. It been needs more gay attack ads. More gay attack ads. More humour. More coming from left field, if I can call it that. We it's should, been we, coming we should, across. We should, I think explain, as, yeah. we should explain to listeners exactly uh, what it's, this they're, is. They're basically there's a, a mocked up, but of course they discovered that this hasn't even been commissioned. I mean, they made they don't need to commission it now. Basically, yeah. it's it's been on the front page of the Sunday Independent, and aren't we talking about it? Mm. It's a photograph of Jerry Adams and Michal Martin, and they're standing over a wedding cake, and uh, Jerry has his hand very touchingly over Martin's as they they're cutting the cake, and they're surrounded by. Richard Boyd Barrett, Paul Murphy, Claire Daly and uh, and Mick Wallace. And they're saying it's a, it's a, I think it's clever in that it's Labour reminding us all that they were saying they're responsible for the same sex marriage referendum, but then also getting their message across. This is mixture. one marriage. Yeah, we should vote no to this year. Yeah. And um, I think that Labour's been coming across recently as very kind of skittish and hysterical and um, fearful. 
um, just terrified, really. And I think that this this sort of thing strikes a much better Is note. Is it their version of the Michael McDool ad? You know, a single party government. No, thank you. It's their not, version. Not of saying yet. To I think. I think we might yeah. be frightened. Be very yeah. frightened. Yeah, God knows what they'll come up with for that. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, more more of that would be my my instinct. Jared Hallen, you're a political strategist and backroom boy. Used to spend his time dreaming up these sort of wheezes. <laughs> you, will this, will we used to great fun dreaming up these these wheezes. Uh, I'm delighted, by the way. Labour have found the joys of politically incorrect. Uh, there's a lot of revelry to be had in the politically incorrectness, <laughs> which is entirely unsuitable for the airwaves. Uh, but um, um, yeah, I mean, you think about these things briefly. Uh, People on the inside have great fun with it, but uh, it's dangerous politics in the sense that people uh, are, are very, feel very entitled to be quite cutting about their politicians. They don't necessarily thank political parties mm. uh, for attacking and being cutting and being negative. And some uh, politicians who, have, who are very acerbic, who can land punch after punch after punch, can often be extremely poor at bringing people with them. Uh, even though they win points but during the exchange. But you not think, that it's saved by the humour? I think this, I mm-hmm. mean, I think it is a bit of humour and um, it doesn't offend me in, in the slightest, but I'm just saying that a personalised attack ads generally be very wary of them. Mm. I mean, did, did, this get, did this get kind of nicked from the Labour Party offices or something? I mean, it hasn't been actually commissioned. Uh, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. be amazed now <laughs> if this is... Dropped into the top of, of a bin in the yeah. Sunday yeah. Independent yeah. Yeah. Office, I'd say. Yes, the rubbish bag was put out and not tied tight enough or something. No, I'd say they just emailed it straight (laughs) over. But I'd love to be uh, at the cutting room floor, uh, the cutting, the floor of the cutting room in Jerry's time, you know, just to see what he would have done. um, For uh, a number of political masters, including Bertie Ahern, he was kind of very wary about negative political campaigns. Oh, he was wholly against it. I mean, I remember our greatest achievement was we came up with, uh, Michael Noonan was leader of Fine Gael at the time, we came up with an egg egg cup which featured (laughs) his Massage to the forehead, and which you could then place your egg in. Um, this was poking fun at his boldness, which, which uh, by the mean, way, listeners I, I, may not be aware, but Jerry's uh, currently in a glass house. <laughs> yes, yes, I wasn't quite. I was only halfway in the glass house at the time, but <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm, ho- I'm holy in the glassy dome now. Uh, but uh, Bertie was not amused. Those egg cups were. How many of them? And, How and many they're of only them? about a dozen or two, oh, but okay. he saw it and he had a hissy fit and no. But no. was he opposed to negative campaigning because he disliked personal attacks per se or because he thought they weren't effective? I think uh, both. First of all, he definitely thought they were effective not effective so he thought they were counterproductive so there was a political reason for it mm-hmm. and uh, apart from the the famous time he completely lost his temper with came Mitchell uh, in the door yeah. in 1995 oh, yes. I mean his own history is he didn't launch those sort of uh, attacks on people by and large uh, so he wasn't his inclination no, mm. own. Th- there is actually a serious purpose to yes. the message that Labour yes, is, is trying to get across here, which is a stability versus. That's chaos. right. Yes. Yeah. 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 How do you uh, think that's well, going to play? Well, I mean, it's 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 obviously playing reasonably well for Fine Gael, uh, the stability bit, because the last few polls have been very positive for them. Um, I think as the election gets nearer, people are beginning to kind of think in terms of. 
uh, you know, whether a government would last again. I mean, there aren't many who remember the 81, 82, three elections in 18 months. But those who do have an awful fear of that kind of instability in, in, in I mean, it's fun for you. The, you I see you smiling, Pat. You as a journalist <laughs> love, I mean, three elections, my God, grist to your mill. You, you'd be writing all the time. But you know, it's it's very unstable for the economy and very unstable for for a lot of policy hold areas. On, hold on, though. Th- this is is predicated on the notion, right, that if the the stability versus chaos idea yeah. right, is predicated on the notion that if the election, the day after the election or two days after the election, or whatever, when the results finally become clear, that there isn't a working majority mm. for Fine Gael and Labour and a few possibly others. with a uh, support of a few independents. That if that isn't the result. Uh, when the votes are counted, that the country will be plunged into some sort of no, but, an- uh, but it, of it, anarchy. It, but that's si- that's simply not true, is it? No, what it will happen is the doll will meet. Yes, it will, and They'll then it'll adjourn their own tissue. And if it yeah. can't, uh, and, and and let's say in a worst case scenario that the, for three or four months the doll cannot meet, and it remains. But the doll cannot elect yeah. uh, uh, Taoiseach. The government will stay in office. It would be a caretaker government, and if necessary, new elections would take place. Yeah, well, that has happened in a number of countries. We know. I mean, was it Belgium but that have, 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 have a, I think, a year and a half? Have they I mean, even got sorry, a government? We, we won't yeah, be but they without don't. a government for a day. No, we won't be because no, the government we will never be without a government. government. No, but I, I think that um, what what we're missing in that scenario is our most recent history. And, um, you know, our, our bankruptcy, where we were in the international markets, um, the fact that we... Well, so, some people f- might say that was because we had a government. Indeed. <laughs> but I think that, that I don't think that, I mean, we're, 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 we're only on the, the, the road to recovery, which, of course, the, the government will tell us um, that if we want to stay on it, we need to stick with them. But I think that the, uh, the optics of that sort of a scenario would not be good for us um, mm. nationally, having, you know, we're still seen as being relatively relatively fragile and I, I, I personally don't think that would be a good scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing about the stability versus chaos thing is that elections are about setting the question, not finding out the answer. Uh, and if the stability it's very deep, isn't it? Yes, if, if, facility, the if the stability <laughs> versus chaos narrative is setting the question successfully and there are initial signs that it may be for the government, then that in fact is objective achieved. Yeah. I want to go on just to broaden that question uh, shortly about the how, how the campaign is taking shape. There's an interesting piece, important piece, I think, by Colin McCarthy mm-hmm. in the Sunday Indo, where he speaks about uh, you know the the inflation of election promises that is currently taking place. It says, after two years of recovery from the worst downturn since the Second World War and the near insolvency of the state, the general election is descending into a contest of promises. Within a month or six weeks, the parties will publish their full election manifestos, but already party managers are busy releasing the juicier items on offer, and it is a depressing spectacle. Yeah, he's he's the, suggesting, Nora yeah. own that basically the political Political, the parties, the political establishment, have learned nothing from the uh, learned nothing from the. Crash. Well, I think they might have learned something, but there doesn't seem to be a, a stomach at all to do away with the kind of manifesto that has all the goodies in it. I mean, I was doing a quick check: Finnegan, USC out, minimum wage up, OAP up, Fianna Fáil want to get rid of the water charges. They're going to um, lower the capital gains tax. All these kind of things. Yeah, and they're, they're, they're and detailed. The public don't really need 
all that. And I thought we'd learnt after 2011 that there actually wasn't any need to do a really big promise kind of list. But it seems to... But the I don't know who drives it. So. Is it the parties? Is it the media asking them what they're going to do? And somehow or other, there needs to be a kind of an omerta put over doing these manifestos. Because th- to be perfectly honest, the minute the election is over, and Jerry will tell you that, they tend to go into a drawer and... Um, uh, about every year they'll take them out and say well we've delivered on this but most of the stuff never gets a hearing at all once people are in government I hate to say that but manifestos are historic documents very quickly well, but I mean in a way look the parties are producing this they're not doing it off the top of their heads they're doing it as a product of research into what voters want and they've clearly identified yeah. that this is what voters want and they are prepared to give it give it to them, Alison. And on and on it goes, the cycle <laughs> of Irish politics. Um, I mean, it already seems unseemly um, to my eyes reading it and hearing it. And we don't, we're not even, we have, haven't even begun the election campaign. Um, Colin McCarthy also writes, he says, it's always best to be surprised on the upside. You know, he's saying rather than pledging money that we don't have, that we're predicting we may end up yeah. having. Mm-hmm. I mean, his economic um, analysis is that we are yeah, actually in yeah, quite yeah. a precarious yes. and Indeed. fragile yeah. position. And I mean, I don't, and I, that is, there's no hysteria tinged to that. I think he's, he approaches it very mm. logically and there's a lot of common sense in what he's saying. And certainly in relation to the Taoiseach and Michael Noonan, you have to wonder where this sits with their pledge that, you know, the end of boom and bust politics. Um, you know, and I you think it's just the end of bust. Actually, indeed, yeah. Bust, and um, yeah. how how this is going to ultimately fit in with our obligations, our EU obligations under the fiscal compact and that is going to be interesting as to how they're... He makes the point that when we have the manifestos, we'll be able to do the sums. Uh, it'll be interesting how all of this will be kind of shoehorned. <laughs> To fish. <coughs> Jared Howland, there, is there a public appetite or is there a political market there for a politics that doesn't go down this road? Yes, but it's small. Uh, the overwhelming market is for the opposite. There are only two uh, essential ingre- electoral ingredients. One is greed, the other is fear. And you excite one or the other successfully or both in, in a combination. And uh, the political system as is uh, cannot work other than it does, which is why it happens again and again and again. It doesn't happen by accident. Why is that? Is, 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 does our politics work like that because of our own desires or does it work that way because of our electoral system? It's the combination of our desires channeled through the specificality mm-hmm. of our electoral system. The 2011 election was a complete aberration uh, where in a sense the outgoing government was effectively destroyed long before the election. The incoming government got a historic majority. We are now back to a, 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 a politics as usual in one sense which is this, that a handful of votes in a handful of constituencies will decide yeah. the ultimate outcome. That is Irish politics mm-hmm. as usual. And I know the two and a half party system is, is old hat. That bit of politics as usual is, is gone. But the handful of votes in a handful of constituencies, that truism has re-arrived. And to manipulate that successfully uh, in small districts, among small interest groups around the country to get those extra two or three or four seats that will make the difference between government and opposition, uh, this is the sort of system that leads to these sorts of politics. I mean, we're just and out we, of the fest and sorry, There is something that has not been mentioned. The people are sovereign. Uh, it's not ultimately the, p- mm. the responsibility of politicians. Everyone votes in secret. 
Uh, they do so without anyone standing over them. And this is what again and again they choose. But there is there there is this Alan this Alan. perpetual immaturity, isn't there? Uh, it reminds we're just coming out of the festive season. I have small children at home, and it reminds me a lot actually of Santa. You know, we the, the political parties turn into the promise of Christmas and of Santa Claus, and we the electorate, you know, turn into children. You know, I was having that conversation with my six-year-old about what what Santa can and can't can and can't deliver, and the look in her eyes of yeah, you know, that's all very well, but he's Santa. You know, and we do actually, I think, take on that sort of. There's that expectation well, built up, so that any political party, even even a political party that might wish to change it, just wouldn't have the balls to do it because mm-hmm. it's too monumental. There isn't there isn't the appetite there. But Pat, in in your own article in the back of the Sunday Business Post, oh, you quote it literally no, if you wish. Yes, yes. Yes. No, no, there was. There was I, I know I'm not, I'm not sucking up to him. It's all right. But, but, yeah, I have one criticism. But, it's but taken is, twenty minutes to, to get around to this. <laughs> Um, you make a point that I think it just bypasses all of us and that is that the rules now and Alison referred to it the rules now with regard to fiscal rectitude and spending and everything you know that there'll be more money needed for health by the end of this year again outside a budget and the government won't be able to give it because they will be bound by EU rules etc none of that that bypasses most people you see I think when somebody goes into the polling station it's very hard to assess what it is that makes them vote for you or me or somebody it's something they've heard and Mm -hmm. some of it is quite under the radar from the point of view of manifestos and political parties it might be because a particular politician they had met was particularly nice to them or to their mother or their father or gave their son a lift or went to a funeral be, yes yeah. it's an extraordinary reason and they're there that's their first vote the mm. other thing that Gerard will know is that the breakdown in transfers is absolutely done now mm. there's no loyalty between mm. the party voters I mean when I started in politics in 81 uh, you could be absolutely sure at every ballot paper that you looked at if it was a number one for Afina Fall the two and three were for Fianna Fall and generally they stopped mm-hmm. unless there was a quite an interesting local candidate now it's one Fianna Fall two Labour three Sinn Féin four Independent there's no loyalty left there and that's what's going to make this a very hard election to predict the numbers in because it's got worse and worse that breakdown Geraldine G- Kennedy the former editor mm-hmm. of the Irish mm-hmm. Times was writing about this uh, yesterday in the Irish Times about how this election is very different to anything um, that that preceded it and I think she's right up to a point in that the last election mm. was about venting anger mm. at the uh, at Fianna Fáil uh, Correct. Prin- principally and about throwing out that government mm. this and, and, and kind of destroying the old politics mm. uh, up, up, up to a point but the next election to me it seems is more about what replaces it mm-hmm. and that's very unclear really is, at the is. moment you have this massive fracturing of the anti I don't know I think it's become vote. a little bit clearer in the last couple of weeks do you think mm-hmm. yeah I do actually well, we're overdoing as well the demise of the old two and a half party mm. system they are collectively at 60% plus yeah. Yeah. and if while there'll never be a, a three party coalition of that ilk if 60% plus maybe 70% come today of the electorate are somewhere in that space we are talking about an electorate that is overwhelmingly in favour of more continuity than they are of change and yeah. we're, speaking is that the real we're speaking fissure? ahead of a campaign where we are all going to be knocked over the head 
repeatedly on a daily basis with the chaos, the stability versus chaos message. Which, by the way, yeah. because it's the narrative that isn't being countered, you know, it, it, once it gets them past closing time, 10 o'clock on polling day, that narrative has served its purpose. Yes. That's what it means. Yeah. And it's a very hard narrative for people in the opposition to kind of batter because then they, they will be battering any of the successes and the extra new jobs and then they'll end up having no answer to give instead of what has happened, you know. How can they promise, you know, the, the, the kind of complete reform of the health service when the money isn't there to make it a better health service than we have now? You know, they will find themselves being questioned. The other thing is that their manifestos, I gather, will have to go through the benchmark of the Department of Finance. They all get access to the Department of Finance. And I often wonder, the people in, in the Department of Finance get these manifestos and they kind of say, oh my God. God, well, how but are we they, going they, to they, they score them. They score, they score them. them. Score the individual. Yeah, uh, but a, but a big telling thing is when when an opposition or a government person says this is what we'll do, and it has been approved by the mm. Department of Finance. I'd say there must be people in the Department of Finance who are just grimacing and saying we didn't really approve all this kind of spending, but legally they can do this if they want to provide that they spend save money somewhere else. And I shouldn't forget. Sorry, that Finnegan and Labour have an out the day after election uh, day because if themselves plus others have the numbers to make up for government then they have to negotiate a programme for government mm-hmm. and they can help each other by cancelling half of the other's promises <laughs> out. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a risky <laughs> enough uh, that's a look at what happened well, Labour the last like time. Like Labour we do want to increase the uh, minimum wage outrageously but of course Fine Gael won't let us. Uh, yes. La- Fine Gael wants to cut USC outrage- outrageously <laughs> but Labour won't let us so that you know there is that Sure. Uh, underneath which In other is words, drain. manifestos go into the dump. Yeah, and the, yes. the thrust of what you all say seems to me to suggest that the dice is very much loaded in favour of the government. Yeah, I mean, if I think if you even look at that photograph in the front of the Sunday Independent, where you have like, you have Mihal Martin and Jerry Adams, the one of the girl. Oh yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> Pat, please yes, pay yeah. attention. <laughs> now um, she's very much in love with somebody. Anyway, yes, so that's okay. On. Uh, then you look at you. You have four people in behind them, uh, who are who have been four of the main players in 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 the 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 last Dáil term. You have Richard Boyd Barrett, Paul Murphy, Mick Wallace, and Claire Daly. You they know, didn't major, Murphy major, to the major wedding, political, no. indeed. Major. There will be trouble about who got the afters yes. in. Right? <laughs> major political players, and yet none of them, um, you would say. Um, will end up in government the next time or have shown themselves to be government ready. Well, very few so, I mean, this of them actually of the, want yeah. to be in well, government. Well, this is, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, they're, they're, they're mm. not only the government helping themselves, they're being helped by many of those yes, around them. Absolutely. And the help they've uh, both from Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin, Féin have made it yeah. clear yeah. that they will only be in government as the largest party on their terms, which events because, seem uh, and it's difficult. I mean, I've I've said this before, but even as somebody whose job it is to follow politics, it's quite hard to keep up with who's going in with who and who won't go in with who. Mm. So, if you contrast that with the simplicity of the government's stability message, and you're trying to work out what is it, yeah. Billy Kelleher said that time, but yet uh, Mia Martin said, you know, who was going to? It's 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 confused and confusion mm. is a shocking good. number of people <laughs> going around Leinster House with notions about who they won't go out with. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 
yeah. As if anybody wanted to go out with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As if they'd be asked. Yes. Jared Allen, put on your old, put on your old, uh, your old hat there, and tell me in thirty seconds or less what is the Fianna Fáil message going into this? Having a clue. <laughs> that's their problem. Yeah. Mm. Just more. Yeah, I absolutely. I I think that it's utter and and complete confusion, and I think that um, they're confused themselves. You know, it's they're they're consistent, if nothing else, all the way through this dull term. They have like Michal Martin would say one thing, you know, half the rest of them would say would say something else. They're jostling amongst themselves, and that has has um, kind of you know it shines through now, and it'll be very interesting to see what their manifesto ends up like actually as to what they've uh, how they've actually managed to sign it off and, and, and agree on it and how they'll all how all the various players will be um, will go mm. about selling them I think it'll campaign. be 42 different is it 42 constituents I get 40 next confusing. Time. 40. Uh, 40 now is it yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know it'll be 40 different elections and of course that's one of the things we can never estimate because the election is very local mm. when it comes down to 7th, 8th and ninth preferences and of course you can't poll as as um, Harry McGee said in yesterday's Irish Times you can't poll the 10th preference excuse me could you tell me who, who you're going to give your number 10 vote to you know you can't ask people that and, and even who the would polls have a clue are, if they were asked yeah. Yeah. that might actually have been another one of our esteemed political commentators who said that but anyway um, no, that's <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is Pat Lee in for Shane Coleman uh, we're reviewing the Sunday newspapers here with Jared Howell and Alison O'Connor and Nora Owen, stay with us. We're back after this. Good morning. This is Pat Lee sitting in for Shane Coleman this morning. Uh, I'm joined by Jared Howland, Alison O'Connor and Nora Owen reviewing the Sunday morning newspapers here. Uh, you can text us on 53106 at a cost of 30 cents or you can tweet me at Pat Leahy SBP on the Twitter machine. Some of your texts are tweets or communications at any rate. Uh, Den says the latest Labour ad if commissioned we've just been talking about it will most likely come back to haunt them in the same way as the dishonest Tesco ad or the comical Gilmore for Taoiseach one thanks Den. And from Karen in Meath what makes you think voters have forgiven Fianna Fáil? Homeowners still in negative equity, uh, equity outside Dublin and they've spent their time recently ostracising women i.e. half the electorate. Thanks, uh, Karen. Now, much in the papers uh, this morning about 1916 and the centenary thereof. A, a new musical is due to open on Broadway called The Bloody Irish. Uh, RTE's Rebellion series starts uh, tonight, tonight. And in Business Post, there's a long piece in the magazine about uh, a group called Reclaim 1916 who are... Uh, who, who are, I suppose, trying to get away from the state-backed commemorations and that, and explore yeah, broader an aspects. Lot going of on. No, no, you were yeah. you were out in 1916. <laughs> <or> <laughs> nearly. Yeah. Thank you very much. I look so well, don't I? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I wasn't, Pat. But um, and my relationship to Michael Collins, obviously, is what you're referring to. He was very yeah, minor. I'm a grandniece. Yeah. He was a minor enough player in 1916. He, you know, he wasn't. He really came into his own a few years later. He kind of came back to give a hand as it were he was out though oh, he was out absolutely mm. and and if he was alive he'd, he'd be getting a pension obviously mm. but um, no I mean I'm still I had still haven't got my head around all the things that are happening
happening and I'd love somebody to kind of bring together the things that I should be watching for. I mean, I know there was a flag raising ceremony in the castle on the 1st of January um, to kind of start the procedure. But all over the country, there are separate commemorative uh, groups going on and um, you'd be hard pressed now to know which ones to go to and which ones will be interesting and which ones won't be interesting. I know that there's people organising speeches on uh, Easter Monday in a thousand venues around the country, you know, with different speakers everywhere. Uh, You'd be hard pressed to get to even three of those. Uh, I think the government is going to make a big play about it. I don't know why there's so much being done in some of the countries that it's being done. Did I see Australia was doing stuff and uh, places like uh, all over America Mm -hmm. they were going to be doing things. I haven't quite got my head around why there's that happening or is it Irish people who have lived there who who had people who were out as you say in 1916 yeah. all want to be part of this diaspora but Heather Humphreys announced a whole lot of things in in, in countries that I hadn't realised had anything to do with 1916 yeah, I mean there's, there's a programme of state events and commemorations which got off to a fairly rocky start yeah it was criticised I mean, yeah. Dermot, historian Dermot Ferreter describes it in the uh, in the Business Post this morning as a historical shite um, <laughs> Alison <laughs> the, the what's the point of the state's commemorations to it or what point to them do you discern uh, well I I'm finding it very hard to light my own particular 1916 fire, I have to say. Why? I don't know. I feel very kind of uninterested. Um, Certainly don't feel any great passion about it. Uh, And I feel a bit guilty about that. I keep meaning to gen up and um, get myself interested in getting distracted by the general election. And I think it will suffer from that. I think it will suffer from, if it were, if this were happening in a year when there wasn't a general election, obviously it would get a lot more attention. And um, it's I don't know what else to say to you, really. <laughs> Is it boring so you, Alison? We'll, we'll move on to, to Jared Allen after uh, Alison mentions the general election, and I, I suppose there's, there's two broad aspects um, that you could say looking at the plans. Uh, for the commemorations. One is the actual mm. act of remembering historical events. But the second, I suppose, is their contemporary relevance. And that's where it gets a bit mixed up with the general election campaign, as Alison mentions. Well, just to go back to Dermot Ferreter's accusation mm. that these commemoration events are sort of, quote, a historical shite. I think, unquote. to be fair, he was uh, he, he was referring to the video produced mm. uh, to launch the uh, the programme back earlier mm. uh, in 2015. But yeah, but all commemoration is a historical manure to, to, to an extent. It's a, it's a political exercise, and I wouldn't be too fussed about that. I mean, a very positive aspect of this is that I, I think children, um, because history has not been thought well in schools, uh, in my view, for the last generation. It, it, you know, the storytelling of history, particularly to primary school children, has become has become dry and become brittle. And, and I think a, a reimagination of the storytelling part of Irish history, particularly for young ch- younger children, to re you know, so they reimagine things that subsequently, as they get older, they may have a more developed, more mature interest in. I think that's well, I very would positive. Concur. That's an interesting but, 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 point. 
You know the way the army has gone around. Because children have to be neat imagining yeah. stories. The army has gone around giving out the flag in primary yes. schools. Mm. And I have to say, in our house, that had a very big impact. Not least that whoever um, handed it out then announced that, the, that by order there would be no homework um, <laughs> for that night. But it, it even came up the, the other day where my older daughter was saying to me, and you know that on a, on a given day, every school is supposed to, to raise that flag. You know that it is certainly, by doing that, it has certainly piqued the interest of, yeah. um, of that well, age. Wasn't the, you know, the criticism always made of the teaching of history previously that it was all about dates and battles mm. and heroes mm. and whereas but now, now it suffers from an over analysis of, 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 of sort of root causes to the detriment of the storytelling part now that's fine at the, you know as you go through second level it becomes but, very important but surely the, the, but the, 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 the reasons the root causes and that are precisely what is disputed about it Yes, and you have to get to, to that to that analysis. But what I'm saying is for younger children, particularly to start their interest in the first place, you've got to tell imaginative stories at the beginning of the teaching of history, and then take it forward to all of those to all of those things. I, I suppose. But I do think, you think that's happening? I think I mean, to an extent. Time, I none think none of this history was taught in school. Yeah, I, it was I, in the I, 70s only when a new history curriculum was brought in that they were allowed to even talk about 1916 and 1920. In the I schools. think all of these ancillary events. Are, are very useful for, for all of that I should say partic- particularly for, for younger people indeed a lot older I mean I was walking through Dublin yesterday and there was this, this 2016 sort of uh, battle bus going around bringing people to yes. 2016 sites mm. an old army truck mm. done up as, as a sort of a, in, so in, a in vintage form yeah. I, I presume mm. it is so there people are out on a very wet windy day uh, doing a tour picking up information maybe that's what I need to do um, yes it, it leaves from Marion Square I can tell you it's an open truck and it will blow the cobwebs, uh, <laughs> Alison, faster <laughs> and harder. Yes. Than anything else. But the danger for the government is that, it, by the way, over the coming months, is that it tries to monster this. I was at the wonderful peace proms in the National Conference Centre uh, on the evening of New Year's Day. Great concert, over five, six hundred children and, and teenagers on stage, all Ireland orchestra. And then we had an extraordinarily long speech. Uh, at By whom? Keller Humphreys. Okay. Uh, if it was one quarter of the length, it would have been much better. Mm. And then, lest we had not enough, uh, it was finalised by another speech from her. And in between, but unscheduled, we also had an address from Aidan O'Reardon, who obviously decided if she was speaking twice, he must speak once. Now, that sort of thing... I mean, it is very appropriate, by the way, that the minister was there, did speak, but they just need to keep an eye on it, be a bit self-aware. Yeah, people will get bored very quickly. Is there, presumably, you imbibed tales of Ireland's fight for freedom uh, around the family dinner table, but is there, in, in 2016, is there a difficulty or an awkwardness on behalf of, you know, official... uh, official sources in celebrating I mean Jared talks about being at the peace prize mm. but uh, but in, in, is there difficulty celebrating an event that is inherently violent well of course there always is but then most countries uh, emerge from some kind of violent um, occasion in their own histories so it's there's no country that when you look back at how it emerged into a working democracy that didn't have something that you don't really want to remember too well and 
on all sides, both the anti and pro treaty sides, there were things done uh, that people would be a bit embarrassed about now or ashamed of now. Look, we've been through our own peace process here in Ireland and people have had to swallow hard and close their eyes and their ears to things that have happened in the north and, and in the south and we just get on. We know that's the the, the forward movement of a peace process. Um, no, I, I think that I hope that there isn't too much tearing apart of some of the incidences that happened because it was a rough time and uh, I've, there was one of the papers I forget which one was talking about you know what kind of patriotism do we have now and that our our current batch of politicians aren't patriots but you live in the time you live in and I often wonder what would I would I have joined Common Amman if I was a young woman at the time would I have done the kind of things that my step-grandmother would have done carrying messages in her corset out of the GPO where she worked and, and that sort of thing and helped Michael Con- you know like I, you, you just have to think would you Pat have taken up a gun and gone and, and stood and defended but in a way the are these for, meaningless the these are meaningless questions really because I you know you don't know I, I can't yeah I can't answer that in any real way. I mean, no, Dermot so Ferreter today talks about the importance of understanding the context. Are you going to mention the, the Business context. Post again? Yeah. <laughs> no, we won't I can't remember what paper it was in. It may well yeah. have been... Uh, there may be meaningless, but I mean, there's different forms of patriotism. So uh, we shouldn't tear apart some of the, th- the actions that happened. We must r- respect that they happened and we must respect that people died in it and they must be remembered. But we must also say to ourselves this probably was a time when this kind of violence was maybe not necessary but needed to get the but to get the country exactly into democracy. But this exactly if we had somebody this is what it gets to the heart of it of it even coinciding with an election year if we had somebody from Sinn Féin sitting in the studio would they not be nodding vigorously in agreement with Well Nora? this is an interesting mm. point uh, because there was a time when the political establishment uh, as is was terrified that 1916 mm. was yes. going to provide a political motor for, uh, for Sinn Féin but that doesn't really appear to have happened no, no. And I mean, I don't think, I mean, at the moment, certainly Sinn Féin look like they're in, in a little bit of kind of a, a lull period. But I still think that they'll they'll do do very well, considering, if you like, their starting point. They will do well in this in this general election. Um, but I think we'll just it have to It won't be see. because of 1916. It won't be no. because of 1916, no. Jared Hallen, has there ever been a more abused phrase than cherishing all the children of the nation equally. Which never, ever, by the way, was intended to refer specifically to younger people alone. The reference to all the children of the nation referred to all the people Mm -hmm. of the country. So from its inception, the Codswallop, uh, an abuse of that phrase is is incessant and wholly unfounded in the sense of which it is habitually incorrectly used. But it is is kind of key to these contemporary reimaginings of 1916 Mm. that we're going to hear so much more about which it seems to me is essentially a, a, a judgment on the state that was constructed. Uh, but we also should remember that the backdrop to 1916, which was in European terms a tiny micro event, was the Great War. And the Great War legitimised violence. It created a culture of violence. It created a narrative of violence. It had a backdrop of state making, of empire destroying. So there was a, there was a massive background to this across Europe. 
involving millions of people, tens of countries, great empires, in which this came out of in a particular place at a particular time. So there is a specific Irish history going back decades, and in particular the last 10 years leading up to the rising in terms of the politics of home rule and the the, the non-arrival of home rule. But there is that wider cultural European context around states, state-making, around violence in terms of the cataclysm of the Great War that, if you like, in a sense, give moral permission to what happened here in 1960. And it raises the question... Which is, by the way, a particular quandary for people in Sinn Féin because I don't think there could have been a 1916... Uh, rising here without there being a great war. They were not in antithesis yeah. to one another. They were just part of the same conundrum. Yes, it kind of ran across yes. many countries in Europe but also it raises the question would we have got to the treaty in 1921 and all that if there hadn't been 1916 which kind of stirred the people mm. up and kind of led them into it because it's, for some people 1916 was a failure and it shouldn't have happened for others they saw it yeah, as John, the start. John Bruton has been... John has know. been very strong. He said we would have got home rule even without 1916. But as as Jared has said, there was a kind of a movement across Europe that were stirring the kind of patriotic people in countries that said this is a time to rise up. You know, the Britain and its empires and its and its the Commonwealth and all that was and all if, getting if, if kind of knocked say, about. Say uh, to... Nora and our question to you would you have taken up a gun which of course is a non-question because none of us could ever know that but the context of 1916 was that millions across Europe had taken to wearing uniforms had taken Mm. to carrying guns Hmm. Fascinating. You're listening to the Sunday show on News Talk. Patley. he is. Uh, I'm here for Shane Coleman. We're discussing the morning newspapers with Jared Hall and Alison O'Connor and uh, and Nora Owen. Stay with us. We'll be back after this. Good morning and welcome to the Sunday show. Pat Leahy here sitting in for Shane Coleman reviewing the morning newspapers. Come with some of your texts. Uh, I don't like the quote, we must be nice about 1916 thing. The fact is that Ireland was being badly governed by an occupying power who behaved viciously. Why should we try to be nice about that? Uh, From Tommy and Kerry then, why not celebrate the spark of 1916 that lit the flame and has given us the democracy we have today? Thanks, uh, Tommy, for that. Noron, um, briefly in the time we have left, there's another piece that I I wanted to touch on briefly in this morning's papers by, uh, in the Sunday Independent, uh, again by Ailish O'Hanlon, who is reflecting on the news that Michael Noonan issued over the weekend uh, or or over the Christmas period, that he had been hospitalised and treated, he spent Christmas in hospital and so forth. And she's saying, why do politicians have to you know, pretend to be, or why do they have to insist that they're in robust yes, I mean, I suppose the, 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 the biggest story that we had in recent history was the late Brian Lenehan and how, how his illness was kept as quiet as possible and how every statement that came out said he was on the mend and things were okay. There is a sort of sense that politicians shouldn't show that vulnerable side that they have spent some time in hospital or are suffering from something and that if they admitted that somehow they're meant to resign or, or I mean a lot of people go to work who have conditions and are able to <laughs> contribute Most <laughs> of them <laughs> yeah. Well you know I mean people, people <laughs> thankfully are, are able to go to work even if they have diabetes and all yeah. sorts of things um, But I so, think, so it's, I think different it's different when it Alison is O'Connor. actually I think the finance ministry in particular 
uh, is a very particular case in point. And I think the context here, I think Michael Noonan has done a magnificent job over the last number of years and obviously at some personal cost. But given that he was treated for cancer last year, and then that there has been another episode this Christmas. I think there is a public interest but this element. Is, this is actually well, what's a, the a worry? Point, what's point. the public? In, is it is it the worry that the department might be getting run by by unknown yes, mandarins and all? Well, that, or and even that, that you you are concerned at um, you you are you are concerned at the minister's ability. Um, to to carry out his brief. I mean, I would personally have felt actually very uncomfortable at Brian Lenehan um, working throughout that time mm. when he was. I thought it was too great a personal There's sacrifice. Jared Howland, yeah, yeah. Is, isn't there a public interest in knowing the health of the, of our political well, leaders? Well, just constitutional fact, which is Nora Owen once was, mm. Michael Noonan is now a corporation soul. What that means is that he or she, the occupant of a government ministry, is the embodiment in law of the department. People refer to the department as something that exists apart from the minister. But in law, the department has no existence apart from the person of the minister who is the incumbent at a particular time. So in other doesn't that give us the interest? Precisely, in yes, it does. And it goes back, of course, to Mao Zedong swimming in the Yangtze River regularly, you know, to demonstrate vigour <laughs> and that he was still at it and God knows what else he was at as well. Now, there's a lot, there's a lot is of... Is that why he ends off on his bicycle and, and, every and, year? And then Kenny on, 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 on his bicycle is, is, is a form of, of, of the same thing. That politics, you know, it is a feral game and any sign of weakness is set upon mm-hmm. principally by our own close mm-hmm. colleagues... First, you yeah. know, and I seem to remember uh, I was barely a cub reporter at the time when you were minister for justice. <laughs> now but you, you really are setting you me in a new category that I was <laughs> out <laughs> in nineteen sixty. You appeared, you appeared. I seem to recall at one stage with a glorious black eye. I did. Yes, I. I did was, you get any blowback from that? Um, a little bit, but I, I fell outside my back kitchen door my, uh, over a brush. I was going out to put something in my freezer, and I bashed my my eye off uh, the side of a garage door. And you do, you get people. Kind of, first of all, they speculate as to how you got it. Sadly, they think all sorts of terrible things had happened and they hadn't. It wasn't exciting at all. But uh, they, uh, Jared is right. They, they expect you to be on top of the game all the time. And they certainly, the public would worry if you had any difficulty, say, with your mental capacity or that sort of thing. Now, Michael Noonan has, as Alison said, and Alison has probably now uh, uh, done an interview to be the press officer for the Vinegal election team at this stage now. Um, you know, Michael Thanks, ha- Michael has managed to, to <laughs> do a terrific job, despite the fact that people would say many people should be retired at 70 or 72 years it's of like age. packs of wolves um, or prides of line. You can only eat... The- on yeah. top if you're the most vigorous. Yes, yeah. Well, There's I an hope equivalent. I, uh, yeah, I hopefully we can finish on that image. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, and well, we listen, I've got Michael a speedy recovery, as he said ah, he is as do, as do we, as do, uh, yeah. as do we all. Now, listen, uh, that's all we've time for this morning on the paper review. My thanks to Nora Owen, to Alison O'Connor and Jared Howland for braving the elements and uh, coming in with us uh, this morning.